The following program is brought to you by Taste Bud Entertainment. Welcome to two hours of delicious conversation with Chef Jamie Gwynn. Dish with celebrity chefs, cookbook authors, and food experts, and gain inspirational ideas. You'll learn kitchen wisdom, wine education, and culinary trends, and eat and drink like you've never done before. Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwynn starts now. Well, good morning, food lovers. Another delicious Sunday here in Southern California. We hope that you had a scrumptious Thanksgiving and that you spent cherished time with family and friends. Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana in your radio, a very good morning to you and to you, Lana. Good morning. We are delighted to be once again in your radio every Sunday with delicious conversation and fabulous food. This is radio's answer to culinary conversation and inspiration, all about the culture of food and living the best life and we're celebrating food's ability to feed your soul so we hope you'll tune in every Sunday you'll find our podcast on iTunes and all of the information heard on this show from recipes galore to cocktail inspiration videos and more posted at chefjamie.com we hope you'll befriend us as well you'll find me on Facebook and Twitter at Chef Jamie Gwen and we hope you'll mark your calendars because coming up on December 9th we'd love an opportunity to sit and dine with you a little bit of breakfast on the agenda in fact Okay, maybe more of like a casual, you know, you can wear your sweatpants and hang out. Very casual. (laughs) Okay, come hang out with us. How's that? It's our last live broadcast of the year, and we're broadcasting our radio show live from Bristol Farms in Newport Beach, along with the Melissa's Produce team. We'll be featuring holiday foods and lots of wonderful recipes using fresh seasonal produce from Melissa's. Bristol Farms is going to pull out all the stops, and you're going to taste everything from the best of their holiday offerings to what we think make uh, a brilliant breakfast or brunch during the holiday season. And in addition, the ultimate prime rib will be carved. Mm, And and made into a sandwich. Oh, yeah, a crazy great sandwich. We're hoping to have Christopher Capehart as well. His knife-sharpening mobile truck will be in the parking lot so that you can make sure to hone your skills and sharpen your knives in advance of the holiday season. Great chefs have sharp knives and good skills. And that is what makes truly great cooks come alive with flavor in their own kitchen. So please do mark your calendar December 9th. Two Sundays from now, we'll be live at Bristol Farms in Newport Beach for breakfast and incredible giveaways. You're invited going to be a great time. Can't wait. We always have great fun. And then seeing that we're the Sunday following Thanksgiving, this is really sort of your last day for leftovers, right? Now's the time to pull everything out of the refrigerator. So stay tuned. Coming up next hour, we're going to share with you some more insightful ideas on what you can do with those leftovers. But here's just a little taste. I love your sandwich idea, Lana. So go for it. Oh, um, to do a Monte Cristo with turkey and ham. Brilliant. And also Fontina. I think that's going to be our cheese of choice this year. It is. And it's such a great melting cheese. It does everything from fondue really well to paninis. And so I think it's a nice addition. I love the Monte Cristo idea. I'm thinking that after the show, once back in the kitchen, I was going to throw together a hash, like Mm. an everything leftover hash. Mm -hmm. So you could use potatoes or even sweet potatoes that are left from your big meal. You could even do a stuffing hash as the base for, you know, fried eggs or even poached eggs. Oh, nice. Hash can be just about anything you can 
dream up. You know, pull out the leftover veggies and chop those up, throw them in. Anything, you know, uh, pan fried or sauteed in butter in a pan made into a pancake could be a hash Mm -hmm. and and a great base for any sort of farm fresh egg. I think it would make the ultimate leftover Thanksgiving breakfast. And also a turkey and cheddar grilled cheese. Oh, I'm coming to your house. Today is the uh, day to make that. That it is. Coming up next hour, more ideas and inspiration for your leftovers and what to do to clean out that fridge from the big feast. Also coming up this hour, stay tuned. We're going to give you a little bit of uh, shopping relief because you can do it all from your home or office this year. We know that the internet has made shopping so accessible, but what do you need to know For holiday buys and internet safety coming up, PayPal's Claudia Lombana with her online shopping tips. Also this hour, do you eat gluten-free or do you love pizza? Well, Sid Fanneroff of Z Pizza is going to teach us how to make a great gluten-free crust, and he's going to share some ideas for darn good pizza. Coming up next hour, Jack Bishop of America's Test Kitchen is with us with the secret to the best beef stew. It's one ingredient, and I bet you can't guess it. I'll give you a hint. It's totally umami, and it comes in a tube. What does make the best beef stew? Stay tuned. Jack Bishop coming up at 9 a.m. And also next hour, we found a new gin. And, mm. oh, it is floral and fabulous. You're going to hear everything and about... the bottle is so beautiful. Isn't it? It's I agree. It's called Amethyst. Yes, you're going to hear everything about Amethyst Gin coming up next hour. So stay tuned. You heard it here first. Also coming up, pastry chef Robert Wimishner is teaching us to make wonderful winter desserts using the best of the bounty of the season of beautiful produce from pomegranates to lemons, uh, all the gorgeous citrus. He's going to inspire us. So stay tuned. Also, I... I hope to inspire you. We post a new technique of the week every week on the website at chefjamie.com. And this week's technique of the week to make you a better cook in your own kitchen is all about poached pears. On KTLA Channel 5, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I shared um, this beautiful plate, which I thought was just so quintessentially elegant. Right, Lana? I mean, five Mm -hmm. pears in a big pool of caramel sauce. It doesn't get any better than that. It's so much easier than one would expect. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And everyone asked for the recipe. So I've posted it at chefjamie.com. You'll find it in our rotating feature. It says technique of the week. You're right. Dessert does not get any easier than this. And it's so easy to take a vegetable peeler to a pear. True. Very true. Mm -hmm. The classic French approach to poaching fruit slowly by simmering it in white wine and sugar and spices turns a pear into a very good elegant ending to a meal and it's really an infused simple syrup sugar and water right with some aromatics you could use anything you like you could use ginger or cinnamon or citrus zest or even star anise and then the genius of it is once the pears cook till tender then you reduce their cooking liquid down and you get a glaze, which, by the way, doubles as a great simple syrup substitute for cocktails. The poaching mm. liquid for poached pears becomes the simple syrup when you're mixing drinks at the holiday season because it's sweet and it's infused with the flavor of the pears and it has all the aromatics. And you keep a squeeze bottle in the refrigerator mm. and you've got the greatest cocktail mixer ever. That would even be nice in the mulled wine. Oh, definitely so. That's oh, it's going to yeah. compound and make multiple dishes. Mm -hmm. Um, Right now, there are many different varieties of pears available year-round. I love the Bosque variety. They have the best flavor and texture right now. And um, it's a very simple method. Lana always says that a drizzle of burnt caramel sauce takes them over the top. And you're right, Lana. So take your caramel to just that 
last possible stage where you can pull it off the stove and you have this beautiful, rich caramel sauce paired with these gorgeous white wine-infused poached pears. It is so much simpler than you think. And again, the recipe posted as our technique of the week at chefjamie.com. Do let us know how your poached pears turn out. And then, Lana, what do you think of this quote that I found? Quote, the restaurant has taken the tired old concept of the amuse-bouche and turned it into a dazzling array of one-bite starters that are alone worth the airfare to Denmark. This is a restaurant of extraordinary pedigree where passion and honesty is reflected in every mouthful, unquote. Where do you think I'm talking about? This is Noma. Yes, it is. And you know what? We're going there. And we hope that you will come and join us because we have a culinary cruise scheduled for 2013 and you're invited. What has been named for two years now, the best restaurant in the world, according to the world's 50 best restaurant guides, 2011, 2012, and they're expecting the same position. Number one for 2013 is a restaurant called Noma in Copenhagen, Denmark, and we will be there. Please come cruise with us. I'm always delighted when we plan our next cruise and our radio listeners and TV fans and friends and friends and friends of friends and family come and join us. Next year, September 3rd, 2013, we embark on a culinary journey to experience the brilliance and the beauty of the Baltics and we are incredibly excited. Once again, with Oceana on the Marina, the world's most delicious cruise line, with an actual cooking school, Bon Appetit Culinary Center, on board, while I will be teaching private cooking classes to our guests only. You can come and join us and set sail for a 10-day journey where we start in Copenhagen, Denmark. Sounds pretty great to kick it off at Noma, the best restaurant in the world. Oh, could you imagine? And your cooking class with Swedish meatballs. Yes. Oh, just the all, wonderful food will be quite an amazing journey. All the best um, from those regions and we're will going be shared. From Copenhagen to Berlin, right. to Poland, to Estonia. Yes. Uh, to three days in St. Petersburg. Yeah, the canals, the oh. palaces, the borscht, the blinis, the caviar. That's what I'm most excited about. And in Stockholm. Which is going to be quite ex- exceptional as well. There is an indoor market there that has been in operation for over a century. So we have a private cocktail reception. We have a book signing planned. We have a food and wine seminar. I can't wait to share mm. with you all the amenities, including a farewell dinner. There's a shipboard credit. And airfare is included, by the way, round trip to Europe. And prices start at a little over 4000 per person. So please come join us. Cruise with us on Oceana Cruise Lines, the Marina cruise ship. It's the Chef. Jamie 2013 cruise and we hope that you will come aboard and create unforgettable memories on this Baltic odyssey we are going to Noma you do want Mm. to go to the best restaurant in the world don't you you're a fabulous foodie of course you do Mm. Uh, with food and wine trails you can check out their website or click through from chefjamie.com it should be quite delicious and very much looking forward to it When we come back, the internet shopping tips you need to know to stay safe this season and to shop with ease at home. How great is that? As the delicious conversation continues, this is your food and lifestyle show. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana in your radio. A good Sunday morning to you. We'll be right back. (laughs) 
Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana in your radio. This is your lifestyle show, making your life richer and more delicious one Sunday at a time. And here's where the delicious conversation continues, an opportunity to bring you closer to the cyber world. We try to share lifestyle tips that are very well-rounded to make every day definitely brighter, to live better, to live longer, to live safer. And each year, the new technology definitely helps us change the way we have an outlook on life. New technology, the economy, consumer trends all change the way we shop. And Joining us today to discuss shopping trends for the holiday season upcoming is Claudia Lombana. She's the National Shopping Specialist for PayPal, also a two-time Emmy winner and Peabody Award-winning journalist. We're glad to have you. Good morning, Claudia. Hi, Jamie. So glad to be here. Thank you. Uh, Okay, you share, I know, because I've followed you, uh, trends on bargain hunting and trend spotting and online shopping. And it's truly amazing to me how you never have to leave the house to shop for the holidays now. So tell us, what are some of the hottest shopping trends we'll see this holiday season? You're absolutely right about people not having to leave the house. (laughs) We uh, At PayPal, we coined this term last holiday season, pouch commerce, where really it's all about people in the comfort of their own homes. Whether you're buying your groceries for your Thanksgiving meal or your holiday gifts, whatever they may be, you can do these things now from the convenience of your own home, your smartphone, your tablet, and even if you're in-store, these are still devices that you can use to your advantage for time-saving and for money-saving. So what are some of the surprises, let's say, that we can expect this holiday? So we have a new survey out just today, actually, from Harris Interactive and a company called Coupon Cabin, and they found that more than a quarter, 27% of Americans, will use their smartphone or their tablet for holiday shopping this year. Mm -hmm. So mobile continues to be a really large trend. Again, that flexibility and that convenience, no matter what you're purchasing, we're still seeing a lot of growth in that area. Price matching is a big trend this year, as is layaway. At PayPal, we are offering three different um, consumer components this year, benefits, if you will, that we've never offered before. And this is to kind of keep in line with what consumers are craving, what they're looking for, everything from budgeting to convenience. So talk to us about price matching, Claudia, because I've been known, and by the way, I notice on my iPhone, my iPad, that the applications are definitely more shopper or user-friendly than ever before. They've made everything extremely visible. Uh, They've made the process... uh, so simple that, I mean, honestly, no matter where you're shopping, if you've registered there before, I can one click my way to, <laughs> to just about anything. Um, but when it comes to price matching, I've always been one to go to numerous sites. I've done my own shopping comparison. Any tips there? Yes. Our price matching, the way it works is when you make a purchase via PayPal with any one of our, you know, nearly 10 million merchants around the world, online, on mobile, or in store, if you find that item within 30 days for a lower price, we're going to refund the difference for you. We're also going to refund the difference when it comes to plane tickets, which is really amazing for the consumer, and that's within seven days. So if you make a purchase on a major carrier, and most of them now accept PayPal as a method of payment, and you find that same fare within seven days on the same carrier for less, we'll refund the price difference. Wow. So really price matching, yeah, across the board. You got a yeah, double wow there, Claudia. Amazing. That's pretty impressive. Um, I know there are ongoing yeah, we- concerns from so many of us as far as credit card safety, digital safety. Um, any safety tips for my listeners? Yes, of course. That is the number one concern for consumers when they're making purchases either online or on mobile is giving out that personal information. So, of course, we recommend, number one, 
use PayPal. You don't have to give your credit card information or your personal information. But if you are going to use a retailer where you do need to enter your information online, credit card information, shipping address, billing address, we recommend that you just make sure that it's a retailer that you trust. Make sure that it's a site that at least is well-known. A lot of great small businesses out there, of course, accept PayPal as well. But if there's some things that you can do, number one being make sure you're on a secure site when you enter that information. So URLs will start with HTTP. What you really want to look for when you shift to entering your personal information, your credit card information, is that that should change to HTTPS. You're only on a secure page when that is HTTPS. If that S isn't there, do not enter your, your personal information on that page. So you oh. want to really ensure it. That's one tip that your uh, listeners can look for. What a great tip. I will be doing that from now on. I have always looked Excellent. for the little lock, Claudia, but I'm uh, yes, very seldom is, also. is very mm-hmm. important, but I'm very seldom aware of the S. So thank you. That's a really good tip. You're um, welcome. And sometimes the lock will be present most of the time on HTTPS, mm-hmm. but not always. And it's difficult to see the lock on mobile. Right. Sometimes. Yes. So the HTTPS is a sure way to know. Okay, as far as other safety tips, uh, you know, if you feel that you might have been compromised, if you're unsure of a particular purchase that you've made, um, how can we ensure the continued safety of our credit card, of our personal information, like you said? Holiday time is really a good time to be extra vigilant with your accounts. Keep a closer eye on your statements, your bank account statements, your credit card statements. Make sure that there's no fraudulent activity happening. If you have any suspicions, contact the institution, whether it's your credit card company or your bank, and let them know to put a fraud alert on your account, and they'll help you be vigilant over that account just in case there's any kind of activity that you're not authorizing there. I think that's important. As far as technology is concerned, give us an idea as far as shopping trends, if you would. What is going to be the hottest purchase, whether it be category or genre, from the Internet this holiday season? Traditionally, we see electronics being purchased um, among the highest you know, items that we see purchased over the holidays. But trends include apps, as you were talking about. Apps are huge for convenience and flexibility, right. whether you're actually physically in a store. There are apps you can use, such as Red Laser or Barcode Scanning app, to make sure that you're getting the best price on an item, to make sure that that item isn't out there at either at a nearby retailer or online for less. And that goes for everything from the wine that you might be buying to serve with your Christmas meal, right. the food that you're serving, whatever that may be. You can barcode scan anything, clothing, electronics, any item at all. It's pretty amazing with the barcode and the QR codes today. Let's say, and Claudia makes a terrific point. That's very food friendly, by the way. Thank you. Uh, You have a favorite bottle of wine that you're planning to serve with your Christmas meal. You needn't find uh, a wine shop, although we hope you'll run out to Bristol Farms and look through the boutique wine department. But truth be told, you can go online and find a case price on that wine bottle uh, from Anywhere across the country, you can shop and compare their delivery fees or shipping costs. And within two days, you can have your seller stocked. It's pretty brilliant. Yeah. I've also seen Red Laser used, for example, at dinner parties or at the home of a family or a friend when somebody's, something's being served that you're interested in. Oh, my gosh, I loved whatever it was that you served. Can I scan the barcode, save it into your app, and then purchase it later? Isn't that cool? We had the same thing happen. We're actually um, coming out with a new line of salad dressings and jams, and somebody had a bottle, and someone else scanned the QR code, Claudia, off of it, and we got word. It was amazing. It's not even word of mouth anymore. It's like word of scannable code. (laughs) 
save it right into your phone. It's yeah. a lot of power, really, in the hands of the consumers, and eBay and that PayPal are really striving to increase that convenience and that flexibility as much as possible for consumers. Pretty brilliant. We are PayPal users, and you should know that we're Thank proud you. to be. Um, I know from reading the materials prior to your coming on, I thought this was fascinating. PayPal expects to see $10 billion, with a B, dollars in mobile payment volume this year alone. That is truly a testament to the fact that we are ordering things off of our mobile device or off of our computer without retail shopping. And you need to make sure that your information is secure and never shared when you shop. This is the season for shopping, and this is the season to stay safe. H-T-T-P-S. Yeah, you got it. You definitely got it. More information uh, or for a review. Claudia, where can we go? You can go to paypal.com slash holiday. That has all of our holiday promotions, which the other two are um, complimentary return shipping and uh, more time to pay, up to six months to pay. That goes along with the layaway trend. So the details are there at paypal.com slash holiday. Terrific. It is an amazing year for shoppers, and each year gets better and better. We thank you and PayPal for everything that you do, and uh, we wish you a very joyous holiday season and a delicious one at that, Claudia. Thank you, and happy shopping. (laughs) Thank Thank you you. so much. We need it, definitely. As the delicious conversation continues, you heard it here, making your life more thoughtful, uh, better, more delicious, uh, and smarter every day. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana. Be right back. This is a place for people who love to eat and have a passion for cooking, serving up seconds at chefjamie.com. Robert Wimishner has always been intrigued by flavor, the author of four cookbooks, including his latest, The Dessert Architect, a book for both professionals and serious amateurs alike about how to craft sensational multi-component desserts. He is joining us this morning to share inspiration for winter desserts using lemons and pomegranates and citrus. He is a culinary educator and an extraordinarily talented pastry chef, and we're delighted to have him with us. Good morning, Robert. Good morning, Chef Jamie. How are you? We're doing well. Thank you. Lana here as well. Yes, good morning. And sharing the sweeter side, of course. So um, inspire us, because I know that you are as driven as I am by the beauty of the season. And I happen to love the bounty of winter produce. There's something very hearty and rustic to it. And uh, I know pomegranates are one of your favorites. There's a beautiful panna cotta recipe posted on your site. And then all the citrus, too, makes me just literally want to make uh, pie and jam and all those wonderful things. You know, I love um, this moment because we're starting into citrus, and, of course, grapefruits of all kinds have been around. You know, um, the, the pink ones I love to use. Uh, we're getting into tangerines and mandarins and clementines and all those things that we never can figure out which is called which, you know. That's true. <laughs> uh, but grapefruits at the moment, you know, we know that grapefruit and Campari, which is that wonderful um, Italian origin uh, liqueur, if you will, or aperitif perhaps, work really well together. And I like to make a, a cocktail, actually, where I'm using fresh uh, grapefruit juice, small amount of Campari, and then finish it off with champagne. Nice. So, you know, we have a great, you know, season of, of entertaining ahead of us, and that might be a good start for a not-too-sweet um, Aperitif. Uh, I love that idea, 
Robert. I do, and I'll tell you why. One, I think that there is a beautiful freshness to grapefruit juice that many of the other citruses uh, offer the sweeter side, but not as much of the refreshing aspect. So I love grapefruit in a cocktail. I love Campari because I think it is a lovely liqueur, like you said, that's not too sweet. And for some, considered a digestive, so a nice way to start the meal. Yeah, absolutely. Lovely. And then, you know, the grapefruits offer you the ability to zest them. So if you took your zester and not the four-hold side, but the other side, right, and you made a good, long, beautiful piece of, you know, circular twirled zest and you mm-hmm. hung it off the side of your glass, mm-hmm. now I'm in because now it's beautiful and festive and, and refreshing. Uh, aromatic. And yes, really, you know, exactly. You're right. Gorgeous. It comes up in the nose. How yeah. could we um, bake with or cook with that grapefruit juice? Because that's what Lana and I do. We squeeze all the cocktail grapefruits that mm. come from Melissa's. And yep. they are so yep. sweet this year. Delicious. Yep. And we right. store the juice and then think up ways to use it, utilize it. Well, I think you know we can always do a curd with grapefruit <gasps> so that, you know, use that grapefruit fruit juice with some sugar and nice. butter and, and mm. eggs and cook it all in a bamory, you know, just a, a bowl, maybe a stainless steel bowl over a pot of water, whisking and stirring, uh, you know, for five or so minutes. It thickens up, and then it's great as both a pour over fresh fruit, you know, you could have a citru- other citrus in the glass and use this over it, or you can use it, of course, in a crisp shell like a tart shell, you know, where you've got some buttery pastry that's been baked off mm. and a meringue on top of that. Boy, we've got mm. a great dessert. You're coming to your house. Oh, very <laughs> okay, <you're> nice. <laughs> Even if you just bake off what I call puff pastry breadsticks, yeah. like we'll bake them off and twirl them uh, like you would a breadstick, but sweeten them up a little bit. And then you use the curd for dipping. Oh, and you have sort of like cookies and curd. I, I love it. It's there a great way. Should people stop by or your neighbors call? That's that last minute. You know, you have puff pastry in the freezer of and course. you've made mm-hmm. uh, Robert's curd and you're ready to go. Yep. Lana makes great curd. I don't make curd anymore, Robert, because if someone in the household makes better curd than you, I just go to her house. (laughs) (laughs) But December will be grapefruit curd month for me. I love it. Mm. Oh, I can't wait. Let me know when to come over, Lana. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Those those wonderful grapefruits from Melissa's I've had, which are really very sub-acid. They're not very tart. You know, in other words, they have that grapefruit fragrance, but they're... They're sweet in terms yes. of juice rather than, you know, sort of tart, sour, if you will, heading in that direction. What about another fruit that's around now, which is persimmon? Are you are you interested in persimmons at this moment? I am. I happen to love persimmons, and I like the two varieties because one you can freeze and then spoon out like ice cream. Yep. And then the other I like to bake with. I make a persimmon cake. Mm-hmm. They take quite a bit of sugar, but mm-hmm. I happen to love the flavor. Tell us, what do what you I make? Do, I do like a sticky toffee pudding, but Ooh. instead of using dates, I use persimmon puree. Love it. So that you, you know, let the persimmons get really soft. I mean, either variety will soften, but certainly the the pointed one, the hachia, you need to eat soft because really they're very tannic otherwise. They are. It's the fuyu that you freeze and the hachia that you bake with more so. But in any case, if you're going to make a a pudding, a sticky toffee style pudding, you need to allow them to really soften well, you know, Mm. either either variety. Puree them and then a small amount of flour, baking soda, baking powder, you know, salt, sugar, you know, you sort of can adjust some great vanilla and eggs, and you bake all that in a, you know, in a pan of some sort. You can do them individual servings. And then make a delicious, uh, what I call a rum caramel to go with it. And that would be making the standard caramel sauce, you know, browning the sugar and adding some cream and butter and then some good quality rum. 
and you've got a great holiday dessert, you know, whether you flame it or not, you know, with all the alcohol that you're putting on it, you probably could. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Which is very, you know, classic, actually. Yes. You know, uh, but And very festive, too. And persimmons. Persimmons are in the market now for yes. quite a bit of time and several varieties. And, you know, I've seen the ones from Melissa's that are called cinnamon persimmons. Yes. Which have sort of a brown speckling in them. And, a, you know, a, at least a faint flavor of spice, you know, but we can amp that spice up because persimmons and spice are great friends. You know? uh, definitely so. They're very holiday, too. With yeah. about a minute or so left here, Robert, you yeah. are certainly adding the sweeter side to life this morning. And we thank you. Inspire us to use pomegranates because I love those little arils. That's the name of the seed that comes out right. of the pomegranate itself. And they're just a beautiful, uh, brilliant red color. I, I think they're extraordinarily festive at the holidays season oh, like jewels aren't they? yes like ruby jewels well you know i do a pomegranate juice uh flavored uh panna cotta which is you know cream a bit of sugar mm. and gelatin you know mm. all heated up with some of the pomegranate juice in it mm. and then put it in the mold of your choice whatever and chill it over you know a couple of hours unmold it and then spangle it with the beautiful um pomegranate arrows um, delicious uh, crunch, and then the ruby color, and this sort of sweet tart side. I love that. And very festive, I think. That well, looks so good to how me. How pretty you is that? In advance, you know, wow. it's, it's really easy to have in advance. Yes. Easy. You just unmold them and serve them out, and that it is. And you're ready. And pomegranates are one of the healthiest fruits you could eat. Yeah, yeah a, a great antioxidant, mm-hmm. too. In fact, if you would like to make Robert Wimishner's Exploring the Sweet and Savory World on his website at robertwimishner.com, uh, if you'd like to make his pomegranate panna cotta, you will find the recipe featured on his homepage, What Tastes Good Now, a pomegranate panna cotta on a gingerbread cake. Again, at robertwemishner.com. Dot com. It's R-O-B-E-R-T-W-E-M-I-S-C-H-N-E-R. He is a pastry chef and culinary educator, and his newest cookbook, The Dessert Architect, is one for food lovers and those that love to bake and create delectable desserts. It would make a wonderful holiday gift as well. Robert, it's always a pleasure. Thank you for uh, always sharing really unique and wonderful ideas. We're glad to have you on the radio. To talk to you both. Thank and you. Happy holidays. And happy the same holidays. to you. As the delicious conversation continues, when we come back, what makes the ultimate pizza? And if you're gluten-free, you'll want to hear about this gluten-free pizza crust. Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana in your radio. Don't go away. Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana. This holiday season, two hours of satiation for all you food fanatics every Sunday morning, sharing our outlook on the food world with you. For the past 25 years, Sid Fanaroff has been throwing a pizza party every day. His creative, organic, health-conscious, and truly delicious concept called Z-Pizza has taken the world by storm. With almost 100 locations worldwide, it's a pizza revolution. And he's here to share his story and some pizza inspiration, and we're glad to have you. Good morning, Sid. Good morning. Good morning. (laughs) Okay, tell us a little bit about the revolution, Sid, because I think your story is an amazing one, and you were very much before your time. Uh, 25 years ago, you opened in Laguna, California, a little teeny pizza joint. We uh, opened up a little place that was a uh, pizza place that uh, was a take-and-bake pizza place. Uh, They didn't cook it. uh, They just made it, and uh, apparently back then people wanted the convenience of having it all done for them. 
So when we uh, started out, uh, we didn't know much about the pizza business at all, mm-hmm. but we saw that uh, Alice Waters and Wolfgang Puck were making these wonderful, delicious pizzas, but they were making real small and gourmet, and you had to go to expensive restaurants to enjoy them. So we took those flavor profiles, and we just took them and we made them into large pizzas. I like to say we democratized pizza back then. (laughs) I love that you call yourself apolitical, but the truth is that, as you say, it's been a pizza democracy. Yeah. We bring uh, gourmet to the masses, more or less. Yeah, and you have for a lot of years, and pizza's changed so much. We've seen a lot of concepts come and go. We've seen the wood fire movement as well. But I think what's most interesting is the fact that over the years, you have continued to perfect your pizza dough. And feel free along the way, please, to add some tips and tricks for those that love to make pizza at home. But from a pizza dough concept, tell us where you started from, let's say, uh, the flour perspective to where you are today. Well, uh, when we first started out, we uh, started using a uh, high-gluten flour that wasn't organic at the time, but it was a pure winter wheat. It was from Montana. And we found that it was really wonderful, and we had great results with it. And uh, But then about five years ago, uh, we wanted to see if we could move into organic flour now that it had become available, because as you know, uh, organic sometimes can be very expensive until it really hits the marketplace. And now organic flour is, is quite available and reasonably priced. So we moved into organic flour, and uh, we wound up using a lower gluten product, uh, which is a wonderful product, except we find we have to uh, retard it a little bit more than we had to re- retard the uh, high gluten flour. So and that's what's happening in the world today. They're using double uh, O flour. The Italian flour. Yes, the fine, 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 fine flour and it's lower flour. gluten flour. And uh, that's what's being used in the wood fire ovens in, in most instances. And so we're using the same flour as well. So when you talk about retarding the dough itself, teach us. Because for those, you even do a gluten-free pizza as well. And you're continuing to, uh, I think, really encourage that movement, which is wonderful. There are so many gluten-free and vegan eaters out there, and they're not missing out on pizza when they go to Z Pizza. But talk to us. If we're making pizza dough at home using the lower gluten or even a gluten-free flour substitute, um, how has the process changed? Well, it hasn't changed a lot, but I I would recommend that, uh, you know, that what we do is use a slow retard. We take it and we let it sit with the yeast overnight, you know. In, in, a, in a refrigerator. Mm-hmm. And I recommend that a lot uh, because that gives the yeast time to develop and add flavor to it, to your product. So if you can retard it for a longer period of time, I, I think that that tends to give you a better product. When it comes to baking or cooking pizzas at home, Sid, I happen to be a fan of pizza off the grill. So I'll throw my stretched pizza dough right on the barbecue. Um, But when we're considering pizza, let's say, from our conventional ovens, do you recommend a pizza stone? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and get your oven as hot as it'll go. Take it to the highest temperature you can get it and get that stone in there for a while. Mm. You know, some people make the mistake of taking their pizza and putting it directly onto the stone and sticking in the oven. You want a hot stone when your pizza, you want Mm -hmm. to be putting your pizza on a hot stone. So you'll need a paddle of some sort, which usually comes in these pizza stone kits. Yes. And so that you can slide it on. And an important thing to do there is to uh, coat your paddle with, uh, we use flour and a little uh, cornmeal. 
so that you can get an easy slide off that paddle right onto the stone. I think that's very important. I do, too. You won't get it on there. (laughs) And the cornmeal also adds a little bit of crunch to your crust. So it's kind of nice to do that combination. I'm with you. I love that textural component. I have a couple of favorite pizzas at Z Pizza as well. Um, We love the Mediterranean and the Tuscan mushroom with the roasted garlic sauce, Mm. which you were kind enough to Mm. share the recipe for. We have exclusive recipes from Z Pizza founder Sid Fanaroff posted on the website at chefjamie.com so that you can recreate the Z Pizza Tuscan mushroom pizza at home along with the roasted garlic sauce. Um, Talk to us about toppings, Sid, because you're all about organic tomatoes and really good quality ingredients, the best quality. Well, I think that, you know, the way I view the pizza, it's sort of like a plate. And so whatever ingredients you put on it, you know, that's what you're serving on. It's your serving plate. It's your bread. And, you know, you go to the farmer's market and you find something that's inspiring and seasonal. And you take that home and you do it. If figs are in season, you take the figs home and you figure out what to do with some figs, you know. Mm. So it's just it's anything can go on pizza. And uh, you use the same good taste that you would use if you were making any dish or any dinner at home, just how you plan your meal on a a piece of bread, essentially. Mm. I love the idea of the roasted garlic sauce, because when you think sauce, you think multiple ingredients, right? Mm -hmm. It's a dump method. You put it all in a pot. Well, Sid's garlic sauce is two ingredients. You actually roast the garlic low and slow till you have that wonderful... it takes the edge off, the bitterness out of it. That caramelized Mm -hmm. flavor. And then you spread the crust with that roasted... Mm-hmm. garlic sauce, right? This yeah. is making me so hungry. And then you top it with a mozzarella cheese, a mix of mushrooms, shiitake and cremini and button. And then there's this pungency and sort of salty tang of feta cheese, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. rich umami flavor of truffle oil and the herbaceousness of some fresh thyme strewn on top. And you get this absolutely incredible compounded flavor on that Z pizza thin crust. It's so complex. Oh, it's so good. Mm-hmm. So good. Good. Mm. As we're drooling over things, let's talk about your future burrata pizza. Oh, yes, Sid. Be the first to tell everyone you have a, a burrata in the works. Yeah, we have burrata in the works. You know, everybody has a Neapolitan pizza or margarita pizza. You know, there are different combinations, but basically they wind up about using mozzarella and basil and uh, tomato. So our new uh, burrata pizza is, is we're using uh, mozzarella. As our mozzarella, we're using burrata, which is a basically a cream-filled mozzarella. Yes, I believe that is one of the foods sent from God. Yeah, it is. It's absolutely <laughs> Mangoes, delicious. chocolate, lobster, burrata. Yeah. Yes. And we use our wonderful, uh, we have a great organic pesto that we use. Mm, yes. So, and then the burrata. And uh, one of the things that we do to give it that extra special flavor mm. is we roast cherry tomatoes. Mm. And then you get bring that wonderful roasting flavor into it, mm. and we put the roasted so tomatoes good. on, and when it comes out of the oven, we top it again with some fresh basil, and oh. it's to die for. Yes, and let Lana and I be the testament to tell you that we got to taste an early version, oh. and it was delectable. 
And you've certainly inspired us to throw a pizza party this holiday season at home. You mentioned, I know, in a conversation we previously had, Sid, that you cut small squares for individual or hors d'oeuvre pizzas at Z Pizza during the holidays. What a great idea just to put out a bunch of different toppings and um, let everybody create their own flavor profile. It's a pizza party, and should you not uh, plan to cook, then head on out and find a Z Pizza near you. You can go to the website at zpizza.com and find over 100 locations worldwide. Founded in 1986 in the art colony of Laguna Beach, California, Sid Fanaroff is the co-founder of Z Pizza International and the franchiser as well, and he has been a pioneer of quality handcrafted artisan pizza that we love. It was a delight to highlight what you do so well, Sid, and we wish you continued success. Thank you, Jamie. Yes, of course. As the delicious conversation continues here, now I need a piece of pizza, Lana. Like, <laughs> desperately. Quick. <laughs> Send it over, Sid. There's more fabulous food in your radio right after this. Don't go away. Welcome to the second hour of delicious conversation with Chef Jamie Gwynn. Dish with celebrity chefs, cookbook authors, and food experts, and gain inspirational ideas. You'll learn kitchen wisdom, wine education, and culinary trends, and eat and drink like you've never done before. Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwynn starts now. This is our second hour of Delicious Conversation. Welcome back and a very good Sunday morning to you. Satisfying your cravings all throughout the holiday season. We have a taste for life and we hope you'll continue to listen every Sunday morning right here on KFWB and at chefjamie.com where you'll find recipes and inspiration galore. You can befriend me as well or want to know what to eat, send a tweet at Facebook and Twitter. You'll find me at Chef Jamie Gwen. We hope you'll mark your calendars December 9th, two Sundays from now, coming up our last live radio broadcast of the year from Bristol Farms in Newport Beach. Along with the Melissa's Produce team, we will be celebrating the holidays. There will be a great big breakfast served and lots of grand giveaways, so please come and join us. And check out the website for more information. Uh, Thank you, John for writing in we'd love to cruise with you my 2013 cruise info at chefjamie.com coming up this hour jack bishop of america's test kitchen is just minutes away he has the secret to the best beef stew it's one ingredient what is it can you guess i'll give you a hint it comes in a tube and we're talking about some other winter dishes as well plus have you heard about the new gin in town well chris snyder coming up on amethyst gin and sharing its virtues i did get a chance to catch up with with uh, Jack Bishop, with Lana and I, earlier uh, last week, just prior to the holiday. So here it is. Take a listen. At America's Test Kitchen, they have spent the past 20 years investigating almost every facet and every detail associated with home cooking. You know them for their Cook's Illustrated magazine and Cook's Country magazines, and of course, 
watching America's test kitchen on television to determine the best value, performance, and recipes of the brands, the tools, and the dishes that we love. Well, they've gone back to the drawing board, and they're digging a little deeper. And while science can be daunting, there is a new book release, in fact, from America's Test Kitchen called The Science of Good Cooking. They're taking the past two decades of their testing, and they're working 50 basic cooking concepts deeper and more in-depth than ever. And these are the tricks and the secrets, I believe, that home cooks should know to make your dishes come alive with flavor. We're delighted to have Jack Bishop back with us here and in your radio. He is the editorial director of America's Test Kitchen, and he joins us live. Good morning, Jack. Good morning. Great to be here. And I'm glad to have you back. Thank you. Okay, science can be daunting, Jack. So talk to us a little bit about the science behind this book and what your goal was in trying to create better cooks, because we know that that is your plight. Science is really just another word for technique. And the book started out with us thinking about all the things collectively that we have learned over the last 20 years in the test kitchen. And, um, you know, what are the lessons that are the absolute most important, the, the techniques, the fundamental principles that are have the biggest application, the widest application to the most recipes. And I chose those concepts based on, you know, all the things that the dozens and dozens of people that have worked in the test kitchen over the last 20 years have, have taught me. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, really many of these concepts are based in a little bit of chemistry and a little bit of physics. And the idea is that if you really understand these concepts, you'll then be able to be much more successful in the kitchen, not only preparing individual recipes in the book, but really in cooking in general, and that you will make better decisions when you are faced with dilemmas, questions, troubleshooting in the kitchen. You'll understand what you should be doing and why. Well, and I agree with you entirely, because that's really the premise of this radio show, as you know. It's to arm great cooks with the knowledge to be better by knowing what's going on with the food in the pot. And this applies to so many different practices. And I believe, too, that when you pour love into a dish and when you're making food that makes you happy, you definitely have a greater possibility, let's say, of success. But understanding how the potato starch works when you put potatoes to work uh, makes perfect sense in mastering the art of mashed potatoes. And I love that this book is really about what makes the dough flaky, what causes mashed potatoes to become gluey instead of creamy. Uh, It's sort of that sixth sense in the kitchen. So let's start there. Thanksgiving is quickly approaching, and we'll all have hopefully these creamy, fluffy, beautiful mashed potatoes on the table. Um, But as you say in the book, all potatoes are not created equal. You need to choose the right potato for each application. And there are two variables that you need to keep in mind. The total starch content in the potato and the type of of starch. So the total starch content is pretty simple. Um, Russets have more starch than red bliss, and they're on a sort of continuum with um, what I would usually call firm, waxy potatoes having the least amount of starch and therefore the most moisture. And those are potatoes that will hold up best when cooking. So red bliss potatoes are great when you want to use them in a stew and you want them to sort of maintain their shape. Russets have the most starch, and that means the least moisture, and they will fall apart the most when you cook them, which makes them great for mashed potatoes. 
Um, the other thing is the, um, the ratio of starches. It turns out there's actually two different starches inside potatoes that behave differently. And russet potatoes are rich in a starch that basically sucks up liquid. Hmm. It causes those starch cells to burst, and therefore um, they will drink up liquid. Well, that's a good thing for mashed potatoes where you want it to drink up butter and half and half, um, as opposed to a red bliss, which uh, the starches stay inside the cells. And red bliss don't really absorb liquid nearly as well, which is why they're not really the best choice for, you know, if you want really fluffy potatoes, you want a potato that is going to soak up the cream and the butter. Yes, well, that's what I want. I want a potato that'll soak up. You said half and half. I'm a cream kind of girl, Jack. I like cream and garlic cloves and fresh herbs to all uh, sort of meld together and uh, form a very close relationship in a pot. (laughs) And then I like to uh, pour that over the mashed potatoes. And I do use a russet because I want it to soak up all that flavor. This is the science behind cooking. Take us through the Thanksgiving dinner, if you would, because I would be remiss if I only mentioned mashed potatoes and didn't get to the centerpiece, of course. You did an osmosis test that I really enjoyed reading about, in fact, and definitely ascertained that brining maximizes juiciness in lean meats, as the chapter is titled. Uh, This was a turkey test, was it not? Yes, and so you know, the big problem, as everybody knows, is the the white meat in Turkey. It is going to dry out, um, and you know, the fundamental dilemma with Turkey is that the breast meat wants to be cooked ideally no more to 160 degrees, but at 160 degrees, the dark meat is nowhere near done. Mm-hmm. And so, in general, the dark meat is best at about 175 degrees. And so, we go through a number of steps. The first is brining which is soaking the turkey overnight in a salt solution. And that salt, what it's doing is changing the uh, protein structure within the turkey and so that the proteins uh, are able to hold on to more of their natural juices. And so if you have to cook the uh, white meat a little higher than is desired, it's still juicy because those proteins have been changed by the salt so that they can hold on to their juices. That's the first thing is brine your turkey the day before Thanksgiving. Um, Second thing is to start it breast side down in a V-rack in the roasting pan. And what you're doing is basically jump-starting the cooking of the dark meat while letting the white meat take off much more slowly because it's being shielded because it's in the bottom of the roasting pan there. Um, And the last thing I always tell people is please, please, please use an instant read thermometer to tell when the turkey is done. Yes. Um, Those pop-up thermometers that come inside a lot of turkeys are not accurate at all. And don't try cutting into the turkey. Use a thermometer. It's the only way to know if your turkey's done. And I agree with you wholeheartedly. The only question I have is, of the many, I'm sure, hundreds of times that you tested this philosophy, the method, with the breast side down, was there ever a concern of turning over a big, honkin' heavy turkey? It's not the easiest thing. So the idea is that we like to cook turkey in a relatively hot oven mm-hmm. so that it cooks relatively quickly. It's in a 400-degree oven, and it's breast side down for the first hour or so, depending on the size of the turkey. And then you take two big wads of paper towels, you know, you take the turkey and a roasting pan out of the oven, and you've got to flip it. Because if you don't flip it over, you're not going to have a nice crispy skin over the breast. Or anything so, pretty to look at, Jack. Or anything pretty to look at. Right. So you do need to flip it. And you know what? It sounds more difficult than it really is. Um, as long as you take big enough wads of paper towels and you just work quickly, it will be fine. Now, we don't stuff our turkey. Um, 
stuffing really makes it that much more challenging to get the turkey properly cooked because a lot of times you're waiting for the stuffing to come up to temperature and you're overcooking the entire bird. So it's not like stuffing can come flying out when you go to go to cook the turkey. <laughs> and I always say grab a friend. If you're going to do anything like uh, take a great big heavy prime rib out of the oven or you're going to turn over a turkey, always good to have a sous chef right by oh, your side. Totally agree. Bring it out onto the counter. You know, take the roasting pan out of the oven, close the door so that mm. the heat's not escaping from the oven. I agree with you entirely, but we are dispelling the myths and taking the fear out of the science of cooking. Jack, will you stay with us, please? Of course. We'd like to continue this culinary conversation. How do you get those chewy, wonderful brownies that we all love? What is the secret to the simplest scrambled eggs? When we come back, the science behind searing a steak and what you might not know about the weight of the steak after cooking, how much are you losing, and the beauty of cocoa powder as we begin to bake for the holidays. Jack Bishop enlightening us to the science of good cooking, the newest release from Cooks Illustrated and America's Test Kitchen, PBS's most watched television series. When we come back, the delicious conversation continues. Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana, don't go away. Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana in your radio celebrating delicious conversation and fabulous food. What's a theory without great recipes? 400 classic Cook's Illustrated recipes for every cook. And those recipes really defined, explained, and better understood in their new book called The Science of Good Cooking. Mastering 50 Simple Concepts to Enjoy a Lifetime of Success in the Kitchen. Jack Bishop, the editorial director of America's Test Kitchen, is continuing our conversation here. Jack, I thought it was very interesting because I talk a lot about searing a steak and caramelization, and we know we all love that flavor. But very interesting to read that one of the common myths, and no doubt one of the first that I was taught in cooking school about searing juices into meat was very much dispelled when you did a steak test. And I think this is really interesting conversation because when you go to cook your next steak, no doubt you will think of this. It's one of those things, searing seals in juices. Absolutely not true. The fun thing we did for this book is we ran experiments, just like you would run in a lab, where we designed an experiment based on trying to either prove or disprove a theory set it up so that there's a single variable, and then measured it. And um, the way we tested this is we took a number of steaks, and um, some of them we seared and then put into the oven in a low-temperature 275-degree oven to finish cooking. And we weighed those steaks when we started, and we weighed when we were done. And we found that the process of cooking the steak caused a 14% reduction in weight, and that's all obviously pretty much moisture that, that we're losing. The second batch, we started in the 275-degree oven and gently cooked them for half an hour. Um, these are very thick steaks. And then we quickly seared them. Um, now, if searing was supposed to seal in juices, the batch that was seared first should have retained more moisture. I was going to say, less loss. The loss was identical. The batch that was seared mm. at the end, after half an hour of being gently heated in the oven, lost 14% of its moisture. And so it was absolutely identical. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't sear. Sear develops, as you said, great browning, caramelization, and equals a ton of flavor. But it doesn't really matter when you sear when you're cooking meat. And you can either sear at the beginning of the process or at the end of the process. 
as long as you've got a great brown crust on it, it doesn't matter whether you do it at the end or the beginning. Oh, I think that's fascinating. How about when to salt? Because this really goes along with the conversation of uh, do you pre-season your steak? And in fact, I uh, speak often on this radio show about aging in your own refrigerator, drying out the steak a little bit, uh, making sure that seasoning infuses all the way through the meat. Uh, to salt or not to salt at the beginning, that had to definitely play a role in your experiment? Yes, and we really believe that you know you want to salt before you cook any, any piece of meat. Um, and that if you want to give it at least an hour or so, that salt can actually sort of penetrate yes. um, into the meat. And that um, you know, if you're really getting expecting to get that seasoning deep into the meat, um, you know, seasoning at 30 seconds before you, you cook isn't going to do anything more than surface seasoning, which is fine if that's what you're trying to do. But if you really wanted to season the steak and get any effective brining, you know, if you salt the steak or pork chop long enough, it'll draw some moisture out to the surface, and then the salt will carry that moisture back in. And as it will with a turkey, the salt will change the structure of the muscle proteins and allow them to hold onto their natural juices better. But that's going to take at least an hour for that to work before cooking. Okay, I'm willing to take the time for a better tasting steak. You know, you're investing in, in a good quality cut, and you want to make the best of it. And, and these are the tricks of the trade. These are the chef's secrets that make that simple steak. And maybe it is three ingredients, steak, salt, and pepper, that much better. That's what I love about the science of food is just understanding the basics of it. And that's really, Jack, congratulations to you what this book is all about. Okay, couple questions, Jack. Why cocoa powder instead of block chocolate? I know in your testing that cocoa powder reigns supreme and we're all starting to plan our uh, buffet of sweets come uh, the holiday treats. Cocoa powder often is overlooked and it just has, Isn't tremendous, it? Yes. It has tremendous flavor. And so the science of this is pretty simple. Unsweetened chocolate is basically half cocoa butter and half cocoa solids. The cocoa butter is the fat that makes any bar chocolate creamy. The cocoa solids have all of the flavor. To make cocoa powder, what they do is they take out most of the fat, and what you're left with is all of the cocoa solids, which have all of the flavor. And so in a recipe that has another source of fat, you're making a cake with two sticks of butter. To use cocoa powder, you are going to, spoonful by spoonful, get more chocolate flavor than you are from bar chocolate. And so a lot of our cakes, our cupcakes, we will use, uh, even sometimes in frostings and mousses, we will use some um, cocoa powder because it's just got so much chocolate flavor packed into every spoonful. Mm. Okay, you've convinced us. <laughs> if you pack chocolate flavor into every spoonful, I'm in. And I happen to love cocoa powder too. And there are a lot of wonderful choices on the market from uh, big-time chocolate producers whom I'm sure you've tested the flavor of many of them. I happen to be a Scharfenberger cocoa fan. I find it really deep and dark and rich, and so it's my uh, cocoa powder of choice when it comes to baking this holiday season. Leave us with this, Jack. We've posted a recipe at chefjamie.com from the new book, The Science of Good Cooking, brought to us by, by the Cook's Illustrated or America's Test Kitchen team, and it's based on the science of savory. It's your recipe for the best beef stew. And it includes a good bottle of Cote de Rhone or Pinot Noir, which I love, so we can continue to be friends, Jack, you and I. Uh, but it also has an interesting ingredient listed second that I know everyone's going to cock their head to the side and question. Why is it that anchovies make meat taste meatier? This is the umami approach, is it not? 
It is. Um, and so umami is that fifth uh, sense of flavor. I mean, everybody knows salty, sweet, uh, bitter, and sour that we were taught in grade school. But there is a fifth sense that our taste buds can det- detect, and it's called umami, um, it's a Japanese word. And it basically just means savory or meaty. And in order to maximize that flavor, you want ingredients that are rich in glutamate and ingredients that are rich in nucleotides. And you put those two things together, and it's like a beef explosion. And things that are rich in glutamate, tomato paste, Parmesan cheese, garlic, onions, red wine. So those are all things, with the exception of the Parmesan cheese, that are in beef stew. Things that are rich in nucleotides, generally uh, dried mushrooms. Uh, things from the sea, sardines, tuna, and anchovies. Mm. And so in our beef stew, after, uh, you know, along with the aromatics, we cook a couple of anchovies. Now, they are going to completely dissolve and melt, and no one is going to taste those anchovies, and uh, you know, in the beef stew. But what they are going to taste is a beef stew that tastes extra meaty, extra savory, because that, uh, the anchovies are working with the tomato paste, the beef, uh, the onions, the red wine to just basically create, you know, a flavor bomb uh, when you go to taste it. And it is the best beef stew you'll ever have. I can't wait to try it. I know that tube of anchovy paste in the door of my refrigerator that uh, used to apply only to a really good Caesar salad, better yet fresh anchovies, is now going to get some good use this winter. So we thank you. Uh, Jack Bishop of America's Test Kitchen, uh, Cooks Illustrated. You know the PBS series, of course, the most watched culinary series on PBS with a new book release from Cooks Illustrated called The Science of Good Cooking, Mastering 50 Simple Concepts to Enjoy a Lifetime of Success in the Kitchen. If you love to cook, this is really a a very in-depth perspective on everything from roasting a chicken to baking chocolate chip cookies. Uh, It's fundamental. It's easy to understand. Uh, It's the simple science of why and how and a lot of the results definitely illuminating. So we thank you, Jack, as always, for sharing your passion. My pleasure. Thank you. There's more fabulous food in your radio right after this. Be right back. Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana in your radio season's greetings. This is where delicious conversation develops. And you heard it here. We made a very happy discovery. And we just had to share it with you. There's a new gin in town and it's smooth with just the right amount of floral notes and oh, I really like it. It's a handcrafted lavender gin, in fact, called Amethyst and it's vapor distilled with local Washington grown lavender creating this beautiful nose that comes through with just the right amount of flavor on the palate. Chris Snyder, our dear friend and the president of Taps Fish House and Brewery in Brea and Corona, along with The Catch, is a partner in the Amethyst Gin Venture, and he is here to share the virtues of this new beautiful spirit. We're glad to have you. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, ladies. How are you? Well, I wish we were drinking, to be perfectly honest with you. <laughs> well, Jamie, it looks like you had a great time down in New Orleans. I saw um, some great pictures with Tyler and I did. everybody down thank there. You. You look beautiful as ever. Well, thank you. And speaking of drinking, uh, that conversation certainly appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I didn't drink anything as subtle or, I think, as distinctive as Amethyst until I arrived back and Lana had a bottle and we have to congratulate you. This is a, a whole new flavor dimension uh, on gin, and we want to hear the story, Chris. I felt the same thing, the same way the 
first time I've tasted it. It was it was something that I had not tasted before. And a friend of mine, and a longtime customer of ours, had come into the restaurant and said, "Hey, listen, I have a friend up in Washington whose brother-in-law makes some incredible uh, distilled spirits, and he's interested in getting into California." And he had a couple bottles with him, and I ended up tasting it. And the amethyst was one of the ones that uh, that he obviously presented. It is a small batch distilled gin. He was making five gallons at a time up in Ellensburg, Washington, which is right outside of Yakima. Mm -hmm. And he actually has lavender farms in Spring Creek, and he actually harvests the lavender, and then he builds his own stills and was making this. uh, It's kind of a dog and pony show, if you would, uh, out of his his distillery, local place, rodeo, um, to all the locals. So it it was a fun experience. But we ended up getting it into California with our partners at Southern Wine and Spirits. And uh, now it seems to be taken off. And I think a lot of the L.A. and Orange County and San Diego area really feel the same way. It is something distinctive. It's something that hasn't been tasted before. And it blends so incredibly on more than one level. Oh, definitely. From a cocktail standpoint, I can tell you from a mixology standpoint, this is the ultimate flavor profile. It has this herbaceous floral note. It's gorgeously aromatic, but it's not overwhelmingly or overpowering with the lavender flavor. And it blends beautifully with other botanicals. And we've mixed it. Uh, I mixed it with the flavor of ginger, Chris, and I thought it was just a gorgeous compliment. It has this beautiful elegance to it. It pairs very beautifully with uh, some of the sweeter mixers as well because I happen to think gin and tonic the original creation is a glorious one because of the sweetness the subtle sweetness from the tonic brings out the beauty of the gin itself so I think that this is the ultimate mixing gin aside from being a beautiful sipping gin I couldn't agree more I think the the one thing that we've seen from the mixologists in the area uh, mostly up in LA and Orange County is that they're taking this gin which, you know, most people, when they think of gin, they think of, you know, a very harsh li- uh, mm-hmm. liquor that actually burns. But this smoothness of this gin itself mm-hmm. is such a blending uh, product that they're taking it and mixing it with uh, grapefruit, you know, grapefruit juice and, right. and pineapples Ooh. and citrus yes. and, and navel and oranges. Nice. And it's just, it's, it absolutely holds up in the lavender on the finish yeah, is does. probably not only on the nose but on the finish itself is probably something that is makes it more distinctive than anything. Not a lot of people are using lavender. Not a lot of people uh, really understand lavender when it comes to uh, the liquor or vodka, even anything, vodkas, gins, or anything else. Mm-hmm. And this gives it a, a really uniqueness to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, women love it. My mm-hmm. wife can't stand gin, but she I, she loves this gin when she drinks it, and uh, she always makes sure we have a bottle at home for her. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> I like that about your wife. I think that, that rye is definitely a turnoff to many. When you consider rye and other grains and, mm-hmm. and yes. the juniper berry. Oh, the berry harshness of it is, is just is is way too great for women. Yes. I yeah. agree. Yeah. This has a subtle elegance to it. It does. Oh, I agree. And, and, and a very artisanal approach, too. All craft distilled. I mean, one of the things in Washington, Ellensburg Distillery had the the luxury of being the second craft distillery in the state of Washington. And a craft distillery means that a portion of the product, a large portion, 40, 60, excuse me, 60% of their product has to be 
harvested around the area in which the distillery is, within a 300-mile radius, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. And so all of the products are coming farm to table, if you would, in a lot of ways to be able to put it through. One another thing that they is really interesting about the Owensburg Distillery is they use uh, different different styles. You know, the vapor distillation mm-hmm. for gin is not something that's usually used in small batch. It's mm-hmm. usually steeped like tea. You steep it like a tea, and and you pull out the uh, the, uh, the botanicals that way. But this is a vapor distilled gin, which then gives it the sub sub uh, notes, but also really focuses on the smoothness and not being overpowering. Chris, I know you're on to something here, and there is much more conversation to come on Amethyst, handcrafted lavender gin. You're going to hear more on this program about Amethyst and learn the art of blending cocktails in the weeks and months to come. We can encourage you to go to the website at amethystgin.com. Better yet, you'll find out more information about where you can buy a bottle on their Facebook page at Amethyst Lavender Gin. That's on Facebook. You can always go to TotalWine.com online. They are selling bottles now. And you will hear once again from uh, Chris Snyder and the virtues of Amethyst Lavender Gin on our upcoming live broadcast. Better yet, just come join us because we'll be broadcasting live from Bristol Farms in Newport Beach on Sunday, December 9th. And you will have an opportunity to taste Amethyst Lavender Gin in all of its glory, not only to sip from the bottle, but also to taste it blended at 9 a.m. on Sunday, December 9th. It's a gin party, baby. Don't miss it. It's going to be fabulous. Chris, congratulations. We're really proud to share in the growing success, and we thank you for bringing us something new and different and beautiful. Ladies, thank you so much. And we'll do a little sparkling wine with that gin down down at Bristol Farms. Since it's the morning, and we'll give a little effervescent palate to them. Lovely. Love it. It's 5 o'clock a, somewhere. A little holiday spirit going on. <laughs> Until then, we'll see you at Taps, Fish House and Brewery, Brea Corona and the Catch. There's more delicious conversation in your radio. Don't touch your dial. You might just miss something delicious or thirst-quenching, and you wouldn't want that to happen now, would you? Don't go away. We're celebrating the holiday season in your radio. And if you're hungry for beautiful food, remarkable wines, and some juicy conversation, then we hope that you won't miss this show every Sunday morning. Two hours of delicious conversation beginning at 8 a.m. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana in your radio. If you know someone that loves food, by the way, we send out a weekly blast, an email newsletter with exclusive recipes, tips, and our upcoming radio guests so that you can arm yourself with culinary knowledge and you can sign up for the newsletter on the top right of the website at chefjamie.com. Okay, it is really literally the last day of leftovers in my opinion, Lana. Mm-hmm. This is the day where you pull everything out of the refrigerator post Thanksgiving and you determine what you have left and what you're going to make. It's time to start storing whatever you're planning to save in the freezer or creating new dishes for a couple of uh, more nights of meals. Um, but this is sort of D-Day for T-Day, I like to call it. So I love your idea for how to turn those uh, great, you know, feasting uh, not only side dishes, but the turkey itself into luscious leftovers. A turkey pot pie. Brilliant. You could make it in little ramekins, yes. make it in a pie sh- a pie dish, or even I made one last night in a 9 by 12 dish. I know. Is it dinner tonight? Yeah. <laughs> there we go. And, you know, pot pie can be made of anything. If you have potatoes left, if you roasted cauliflower, maybe you're a peas and carrots kind of person. I mean, a little of everything left over goes into a pot pie. But I love 
love your idea, Jamie, about adding, making a, a, a roux, right. butter and flour, right. adding some chicken stock, and then add a little bit of leftover gravy. Right. So you're essentially, you could either make, you know, a, a good, thick, rich sauce. You could make a bechamel. But like you said, yes, you could make a gravy, essentially, or thicken your gravy even more and use that as the base for your pot pie. Because then you've got mm. all the flavor from the drippings from your turkey. Mm. So now you've utilized your turkey, any leftover veg, some sort of potato. Sweet potato would be great in there, too. And then you've used up the gravy. And don't forget corn. Oh, and definitely corn. Mm-hmm. And then um, as the topper... I like be, puff pastry. I, I bake say. off squares of puff pastry and just lay it on top. And that's a simple way to mm-hmm. just sort of decompose the uh, turkey pot pie. Or you could put raw fra- puff pastry on the top and then freeze it oh, that way Pillsbury, and bake it. Pillsbury, uh, pie charm. shell. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Whomever and it do is. do it that way. Don't forget to yours. add a generous teaspoon of sage. Mm, nice. Mm-hmm. Lovely. And then the egg wash that you always remind me of when it goes into the mm-hmm. oven so you get that beautiful crisp crust. Oh. Love that idea. Mm-hmm. One of the things that my friends seem to love, and I reminded a, a friend about it last night on the phone when she called me and said, what do I do? I mean, I think all of our fridges are overflowing. I always recommend that you make TV dinners because while right now you might not be really thrilled with another plate of turkey, like you've had enough, trust me, a week from now you're going to be fantasizing about the memories of cranberry sauce and sweet potatoes. So take heavy duty plastic or paper plates, preferably ones that have compartments or the compartmentalized ones, and make your own TV dinners. Lay out your leftover turkey, uh, lay out, you know, your mashed potatoes, sweet potatoes, cranberry sauce and stuffing, and make up a plate of a TV dinner. Then wrap it well in plastic wrap and see if you can slide it into a Ziploc bag. And then freeze those TV dinners individually so that you can just throw them into the microwave, if you like, and reheat them. Now you have a homemade dinner, not one that came in a box, not one that you don't know what went into it. This is a natural, delicious, you know that your Thanksgiving was good kind of Thanksgiving dinner that's post-holiday, but it really is a wonderful way to store TV dinners, make them yourself in the freezer, and a great way to use up the leftovers. Great way. And don't forget, lunch is coming up, so (laughs) you can make a... Because that's what we live for, (laughs) breakfast to plan lunch and lunch to plan dinner. Meal to meal. Yes. A a turkey Waldorf salad. Oh, nice. Ooh, grapes and walnuts, apples, you're thinking? Mm Mm-hmm. A little bit of curry powder if you wanted to add a twist. Oh, to the mayonnaise. Yeah, for sure. Lovely. I like that idea. And by the way, if you still have turkey on the carcass, if you still have turkey on the bone, it's taking up a ton of space in your fridge. But now is the time to make soup. Don't forget that that entire turkey, once you've taken off all the meat, goes into a big pot and makes the ultimate stock. And we threw in the leftover roasted parsnips and carrots from the meal into Mm -hmm. our soup. Uh, Big uh, cloves uh, or even bulbs of roasted garlic that were in the fridge. Uh, Roasted lemons that were from the turkey when it roasted into Mm -hmm. the stock. The tops of the celery, the tops of the carrots, the ends of the fennel bulb. Everything goes in and makes for a richer, more delicious stock or soup. In the oven. And it's an oven method that we use this year. Yes. So you could do it on top of the stove or you could bring it to a simmer on top of the stove, put a lid on it and make what we call oven method stock. It goes right into a low oven at 200 degrees. And for about eight hours or so, uh, we left it at Lana's house overnight in the oven. Mm -hmm. You get this really rich, delicious, hearty 
stock mm. that is just fabulous. It was marvelous. I must it is say. marvelous. Sweet. Yeah, there's a lot more to eat. <laughs> and we're making stuffing dumplings, which were all the hit on... Um, to go in the beautiful broth. Yes, my live from Bristol Farms pieces uh, on uh, on KTLA Channel 5. And mm-hmm. thank you for watching Fox 11 Thanksgiving morning as well, by the way. Um, but stuffing dumplings are sort of like stuffing meatballs. You take two cups of stuffing, two eggs and about six tablespoons of all-purpose flour, and you combine it all together till it's not sticky, and then you form golf ball size dumplings or meatballs, and then you just drop them into your simmering stock or soup, and you have turkey soup with stuffing dumplings. Oh, it's the best part of the soup. I know. You loved it, didn't you? It was fabulous. Yeah, and leave them in there and then eat them tomorrow night for dinner with a big organic green salad, crusty bread. While we're cooking and watching football, how about some turkey chili? Oh, I love that idea. Okay, because you know what? This is chilly season, even though it's pretty warm here in Southern California. I don't care. I am going to make a big batch of chili for uh, Monday Night Football. I will tell you what I uh, what I am going to make this week, though, once again, Lana, and I hope you'll be thrilled um, because the recipe of the week might possibly be uh, in my top five favorite recipes of 2012. Okay, get this. Are you listening? This is the ultimate fabulous Recipe at chefjamie.com. If you love buffalo wings, we have created a buffalo chicken chowder with blue cheese crostini Mm. that if we may say ourselves, Lana, and I speak for both of us, it rocks. (gasps) It is outrageously delicious. If you love buffalo wings, if you love football and you love soup, this recipe combines all three passions into one. It is a winner. You saute in unsalted butter, some darker white meat chicken. You could probably even do it with leftover turkey. And then onion, celery, carrot, garlic. You add stock and hot sauce and you finish it with heavy cream. And you have what tastes like buffalo wings in a bowl of soup. And then you make some thin slices of French bread toasted topped with blue cheese for a crostini. And you have the blue cheese from the buffalo wings all tied in floating on the top of the soup. It was really delicious when we perfected it. And we hope that you will make it. Uh, It it really is, I think, one of the best soups we've ever made. Speaking of football food, too, if you like poppers, this is Lana's newest inspiration. Oh, instead of taking a whole jalapeno and stuffing it, we're putting that into the chicken breast. Right. So we're essentially stuffing a chicken breast with everything you love about a popper, right? Mm -hmm. So Uh, some diced jalapenos mixed with cream cheese and cheddar cheese and, of course, some crumbled bacon. Perfect. In there. Love it. And then put into the chicken breast. Yeah. It's a stuffed chicken breast that tastes like a popper. I mean, how good, how bad could it be? How and, good could it be? Really and good. Then don't forget to take the chicken breast and wrap it up in two slices of bacon. Yes, because everything is better put it with bacon. In your baking dish and bake it in an oven around 375, <gasps> 400 for about 30 minutes. Now we've, I've made myself hungry. Mm. I know. We've really taken it over the top. So whether you're looking for football food or luscious leftover ideas, Check out chefjamie.com. You'll find an espresso chocolate chip shortbread recipe that I love as well that I think is great for holiday gifts of food and gift giving. Plus, you heard Jack Bishop earlier this hour. What makes the best beef stew? 
that secret ingredient is anchovy paste. And the salty umami flavor really adds an incredible depth. So uh, make sure that you consider squeezing a bit from your tube of anchovy paste into the next rich stew that you make because it does make your dish come alive. We hope next Sunday you'll come alive with us right here in your radio and join us as we will be joined by the great Rick Bayless. He's sharing actually inspiration for cocktails. He's Mm. in a cocktail kind of mood, very festive for the holidays. And Chef Scott Hemendinger, he is of modernist cuisine, you know, the five volume Mm. manual for great cooks. Well, they've created a home version. Oh, this is genius. What he has to say. It's pretty cool. Mm. I will say it's a a culinary uh, level of knowledge really at at a whole new level. And we hope that you'll tune in for more delicious conversation next Sunday. And mark your calendar because the Sunday following, two Sundays from now, December 9th, we will be broadcasting live from Bristol Farms in Newport Beach. And we hope you'll join us along with the Melissa's team. We'll be sharing Mm. the best of winter seasonal produce, teaching you live and in person how to make a beautiful horn of plenty that utilizes the best seasonal produce it's really a nice centerpiece and if you're in a creative Mm -hmm. kind of mood you can come on down in your sweatpants it's really casual we're serving a big brilliant breakfast thank you bristol farms and we've got some really incredible giveaways Um, in fact everyone will leave with a melissa's bag and something delicious as well it's always a delicious morning and an interesting one at that we're looking forward to having chris capehart in his mobile knife sharpening truck there as well so you can hone your skills and your knives prior to the big holiday season december 9th live this radio program at bristol farms in newport beach please don't miss it and hope that you will join us here at the table next sunday at 8 a.m when we begin the delicious conversation um a huge thank you to lana for everything you do you make this show happen and steve you're the best don't forget those specials at bristol farms to find a store near you bristolfarms.com and thank you to melissa's produce of course to la victoria to fleming steakhouse for making this show possible we certainly appreciate it to see what's cooking online chefjamie.com facebook and twitter at chef jamie gwen And until next weekend, on behalf of Lana, I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off. We hope you continue to eat well.